0: You are stewarding some part of our client experience through that decision. And it was my job to make sure that I got your back as you go execute, regardless of whether or not I thought it was the way to go. I'm not rooting in the background, I'm not rooting for you to fail. I'm Johnny Page. I'm Everletck, and this is the South County Podcast. So Matt, you and I were, yesterday we spent like six and a half hours together in a quarterly planning session. It was annual planning and quarterly planning, which arguably risky to put you and I in a room with a spreadsheet and an iPad (laughs) for that long, but we're getting better at it. We're getting more disciplined. You know, it's fewer and farther between that we come out of that room and, you know, want to go a completely different direction with the company, but I think that there was a moment in our planning session where things got, could have gotten a little heated, contentious, and out of that, you know, we ended up having a really good and productive and extremely high value, like what came out of that conversation, I think we're both have a lot of confidence in, but I think you you and I both observed that that was probably not the norm in most working relationships and something we wanted to uh, to bring to the podcast today. So I think we titled it or at least commented on hey, we were more interested in getting it right than being right. But why do you won't we walk through what was happening in that moment and what the high road looked like versus the low road. Yeah, doing this
1: right is built on a foundation of trust, right? And around something that's near and dear to my heart, right? API, assume positive intent. Like we talk about that a lot in our company. And so I think actually the logical place to start when it comes to like like the question at hand is how do you get comfortable getting your ideas challenged? That's the question that we're wrestling with here. And it doesn't happen without a high degree of trust. And so I think that humans in general... Right. When you come up with an idea, you want to love your idea. You want to feel like, hey, I've came up with the way I've made this improvement on this thing, whether it's a business or a process or or literally anything. And then it's that nerve wracking moment when you circulate it with people. Like in in our case, you know, someone that I really respect. And I also like for big decisions, you and I need to be on a line and on the same page. I hate consensus, but in the in the context of you and me as a partnership running this company, it's it's what it is. And so that's like psychologically, for anyone who has a plan, that's like that big moment when you put it in front of someone, you're like, Oh, I hope this person likes it. Or like if you're if you're a team member, it's could be bringing it to your boss or doing a presentation about it, but either way, it's like that moment where you're you're putting your chips down and it's and you're exposing yourself to be vulnerable, right? Which I think that's where that whole like quiet quitting thing comes from. Mm-hmm. It's just people are not necessarily engaged enough to want to be vulnerable
0: because to yeah. innovate, you have to be vulnerable. Yeah, just to even share the idea, like we could talk about what what even allowed for there to be the environment to like go out on a limb and, you know, share this idea. That alone can be a challenge for some leaders in getting the team to a point where they're willing to take risks and share the idea, let alone, you know, having an environment where it's okay if that idea is challenged and feelings aren't hurt and we keep on focus on the main thing. In this case, you know, I think that we had a, you know,
1: a, a project inside the business that I don't think is executing as well as it could be. And I had an idea about how we can improve it in 2024. And it was one of those things that I think was substantially correct, but also needed some refinement and some some further innovation. And so I think, like you showed up to that conversation really, really well. Because we have the kind of trust that we have, and it—it it was just this interesting moment. You know, one of the things emotionally that I've been working on is it's like this whole concept of like you're not your feelings, right? Where it's like if you're in a good headspace, not to get all woo-woo or whatever. It's like isn't this about SaaS? But if these conversations are what build sustaining businesses, though, right? And so it's almost like if you're in your feelings to like be able to zoom out for a second and be like, I see you self feeling this way versus like Zoom with all these feelings, you know? And so I could like. I could see myself having this low-key feeling of like, damn, like I really just wish that Johnny was like, yo, great idea, <laughs> let's go do it. And it was interesting because we beat that idea up for an hour, hour and a half. And where we landed was both, in my opinion, better than where it started and also substantially similar to where we started, right? It wasn't that the whole concept was wrong. It was just that there was a couple of things that needed to be mm-hmm. iterated on. But I think it was just you know, like we said in the, in the little title or whatnot, right? Like it was, we were both more concerned with getting it right than I was concerned with you liking my idea for some type of validation that I Mm -hmm. needed. And I think for me personally, I'm interested in your viewpoint on this too, but for me personally, getting it right, like, you know, me, I'm the data guy. Like for me, it's like having the numbers to illustrate when we got it right. It helps counteract so much of like the, natural emotion of putting ideas out there and being vulnerable. Like we could both be wrong. I could be right. You could be wrong. you could be right. I could be wrong. Who the hell knows, but the numbers Mm -hmm. know. So it's like, let's just figure out what to try in support of getting the numbers from A to B. And so I think that like, once we're aligned behind that common goal, it helps me at least defuse it emotionally because we're all after the same thing. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of like a beautiful exercise in both like vulnerability, trust,
0: and, Trying to get the best outcome for our clients, which is what the whole game is. Yeah, you know, I think a sign of a high performing team is one that has healthy conflict. Yeah, like we don't actually produce a better idea unless I'm not scared to challenge your idea, and you're not open to feedback. And if you you take this, sure, this time it produced a great outcome, but the no matter what, whatever comes out of that, like there's two scenarios: one, you change your idea in a way and or your idea evolves in a way that we are all feel like we, there's more consensus. Like you and I leave that conversation and I'm like, hey, we, we both feel like we participated and you know how we got there was just as important as like where we ended up. So you could have changed your idea. You could have not changed it at all and just the openness to having the conversation and why'd you choose this way now leaves us in more alignment than if you had just like said hey here's what i'm doing so one build consensus on your team two facilitate a culture where healthy conflict happens regularly like Mm -hmm. we say all the time everyone's hand is on the steering wheel. There's not a single decision that gets made here where you are not endorsing it. So like, if you feel like we're about to run into a wall, you gotta like, you screaming from the rooftop, man, grab that steering wheel and keep us from hitting the wall. You know, your perspective matters here. So building that, the- environment where you feel like there's the trust and the safety to be the only person you know sharing a, a contrarian perspective and that it's going to be well received and that ultimately we all believe that we're getting it right versus being right so like you know politics don't win here and your favoritism yeah. doesn't win like it's it's getting the right idea
1: There's another side to it, though, that I think is equally as important because listening to you walk through that, I agree with everything you laid out. But I think like for the people listening to this, it might be tempting for them to take from what you just said, like, okay, I need to go beat up every idea until we have consensus across Mm -hmm. everyone who's involved in it. Right. And so I think like, you know, where I'm pointing is the disagree and commit philosophy. So why don't you walk through how we leverage that to also like land the plane in the case where we have multiple viewpoints?
0: Yeah. I mean, ultimately you're the decision maker on that. So one of the tools that we use, like, let's just say that you and I, And many times this has happened. We get into a, you know, not an argument, but we are, we have two differing perspectives on how something should be solved. One of the things that we'll do to just get a sense for how important is this to you is we'll just rate it like, Hey, Johnny, I hear your perspective on a scale of one to 10. How important is this to you? And if I'm at, you know, I'll say, you know, I'm a nine or I'm a, I'm a three or a four. You know, a lot of times we found, Hey, this just ended up like not being super high importance what we're arguing, but Hey, if we both find we're both at nine, it's super high priority. Ultimately, if it's your air responsibility, you got to go make the decision. And whatever you decide from the time that we've had that conversation, we've aired it all out. You've heard my perspective. You know how important this is to me. When we leave that conversation, I'm there to support your plan because that's what's best for, you know, one of our core values is customer backwards. Like you are stewarding some part of our client experience through that decision. And it's my job to make sure that I got your back as you go, you know, execute, regardless of whether or not I thought it was the way to go. Yeah. So it's not a, you know, I'm not rooting in the background, I'm not rooting for you to fail. That's the really important part is like for people who've worked in companies
1: that might not have the healthiest workplace culture right it's like oh, i told johnny this wasn't going to work so like can't wait to see him fall on his face you know and then i'm going to be right and then i can like use that to angle for a promotion like that's how some places work it's bonkers to me i just can't even imagine it being in that environment right where you know it's the way we approach it is just, I'm going to say my piece, I'm going to explain and also seek to understand because I might have an opinion where I think you're incorrect. And then you lay out the data. I'm like, okay, actually, I agree with you. Like that's happened in both directions more times than I can count. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at the end of the day, we call it a a DRI, a directly responsible individual, like every area of the business has one, not two, not five, one. And so (laughs) if it's your area, it's your call, leaders make bets, and you get paid to be right. So at the end of the day, you get to make the call. And then once everyone said their piece, we're all behind the decision because that's what yeah. a team does.
0: A couple of hacks. Look, this is a skill that's got to be taught. It's earned. Your team, yeah. you can hire someone and you get their hours and you get their effort. There is a whole nother level of engagement that is earned. You do not get to pay for that. And what we're talking about is a level of engagement. Like, Dude, at the end of the day, what you were working on yesterday, it's not my problem. It's not my irresponsibility. responsibility. If you were to not be successful in that area, like it's not a direct reflection on me directly, although you could make an argument like we are the, you know, it's the, the team is of yeah. all the individual parts but i'm highly engaged and i'm invested in every area of this business working out and that's been earned by the culture we've created at, at the company i think that as a leader you've got to earn that as well so a couple of hacks that you can do if, if you're trying to foster this type of open communication and healthy conflict one of the things i've seen really helpful matt is like when we're Let's say we're in a team setting, often so we're at quarterly planning and annual planning. You know, most of you listening have probably got some sort of meeting coming up that's gonna talk about where we're going over the next three months or 12 months and why. And part of that you're gonna to wanna to get enrollment from your team. What you can do is you can assign half the team your black hat. You are going to poke holes in why this isn't going to work. So you actually, your job is to assume the contrarian r- role. And the other half of the team, you're white hat. You're going to figure out why will this work. And then we can flip roles. And you kind of have this like you know, proxy into you know, assigning people that your role is to be the contrarian. And sometimes I can get the guard down, think about how well that, you know, receive that feedback. Well, you know, foster that open communication, use that as a stepping stone to more, these conversations happening more organically. Matt, that's one that I've used frequently. I'm sure you have others. Like, what do you do to foster healthy conflict on your team?
1: Yeah. I'll plus one what you just said. I think that assigning roles, right? Whatever you name them is not important, but like telling a, f- a handful of people, it's your job to poke holes in this plan. And another set of people, it's your job to be the optimist and figure out all the ways this could be awesome. Like just assigning the roles decouples the role from the personality, which is super helpful. And you can use that tool in so many areas. Like, and we have a framework inside of the Academy, right? We teach that doing that for uh, sales call review, right? Where like, Mm -hmm. if you were the sales leader, I was a sales rep, you get two other people, one of them is to find all the stuff I did wrong. One of them is to find all the stuff I did right. And then it's not like someone being mean, it's just the role. So I love that. The level of importance, I think is one that cannot go understated. Because I think if you're operating a team with really high engagement, everyone is going to be engaged on everything. But when you find that there's a mismatch, if it's a nine to you and a three to me, I'm just going to go with whatever you want. Right? Mm -hmm. Because if it was really, really important, it wouldn't be a three to me. And so, yeah. why why even waste time talking about it? So, I think how important is this to you on a scale of one to ten is really good a really good rule. I think the other one that is is worth covering, and it's not like a tactical you know hack that I can fit into a sentence, but it's something to just strive for over time. Is that doing this right is based on having deep relationships inside a team, and so I think that it's really important to architect your relationships at work to build trust and to go through like shared hardship together and come out the other side and and co-create some wins and just have real conversations and just like figure out how to build the connective tissue to the people next to you because it's really easy to say and you and I have talked about this at length right it's like it's really easy to say like the goals of the business are what unifies us but like when the business is the thing that's off the rails, which is not the case for us today, but in general, you know, it can happen in any business. There's going to be hard days, hard months, hard quarters. Like when the business is the stressor, if that's the only thing unifying the team, the team will no longer be unified, right? And that's Mm -hmm. when people end up attacking each other. And so I just think realizing that, There's the hard skills of management, right? Your data and your KPIs and this and that. And then there's the soft skills of leadership, which is having to actually build really strong bonds between the human beings on the team. Mm -hmm. And if you do both of those things, then you earn your way into always assuming positive intent and you earn your way into being comfortable with healthy conflict without feeling like you're getting personally attacked. And I think that once you get over those hurdles, that's when a team can really start
0: to thrive and then your decisions become higher quality as a result. Yeah, dude, one of the most effective ways that we've built this, like for sure you should do one-on-ones, for sure you should look for the opportunities, but like I love drilling this down to emotional intelligence and building trust. I need these like, you know, tactical, practical application tools that I can use to, to build that. And one of the ones that we've done, and I learned this here was, strengths and weakness exercise. So you bring a team together and you, you put 10 minutes on the clock. Let's just say there's five people on a team and we're going to write each person's name down. We're going to draw a line down the middle. We're going to write strengths, one strength, one thing this person does really well, and one weakness, one thing that they could do to get to the next level. I mean, you got to write one down for each person and then One person, the leader should go first. So you can model how to receive feedback and everyone goes around and you share the one strength and the one weakness. And the only thing the person getting the feedback is allowed to say is thank you. So you just receive the feedback and man, the trust that comes out of that and the vulnerability of that simple exercise, it can take 90 minutes, do it on a Friday afternoon and just watch the organically some of that healthy conflict will come up because now there's a foundation of trust there's a great book out there i think it's patrick lynchione he's like the five dysfunctions of a team and talks about how trust is mm-hmm. the foundation man you just it goes so far and it's such a you find it's such a rare thing to have in the workplace shockingly like i would say if you're listening to this podcast and you're in a workplace where there is not trust man There are some out there where you can build trust and that's a part of the culture. I'd go find that because life is too short to spend time in an organization where you don't have trust. But man, it goes so far to fostering those conversations. And at the other end, you wouldn't think, you wouldn't tie the connection to be like, hey, if we have a more trusting team, do we make better decisions? But dude, there's a direct correlation. So I don't know, that's one that I've really enjoyed doing probably two or three times a year. And you, um, want, you want to talk so- about the varsity version of that? You want to talk about what we just did on our offsite? <laughs> yeah, we could do that. I mean, if you want to look, if you're not doing any of that yet, start with where we just, you know, start where we just started. Yeah. But, uh, yeah Would, if you want to jump in the deep end, tell them. Yeah. If you want to know what's like, what I feel like the max dose
1: of this is, it's called a lifeline exercise. And essentially what it is, is you draw a graph, right? You take a piece of paper and you draw a graph and you walk through the ups and downs of your life and you essentially share your story, your life story with with the people around you. The, again, to Johnny's point, this is not the zero to one move, you know, because you get out of it what everyone puts into it. But I've done this twice in my career, once recently and then once with my, my first company up launch and both times they're, Two of the most memorable afternoons slash evenings of just like, I don't know what you would call it, bonding, learning, relationship building, admiration, like all of the things. It's just, it's really, I've just been blown away both times at like the vulnerability that everyone showed up with, the trust that was built, the shared understanding that we left that room with. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy meaningful. So yeah, I feel like that's that's what the 100 mile an hour version of this looks like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's special to be on a team that has such high trust and what comes out of that is, Hey, we get to get into a room and we're working on a project or on a goal on a problem. And we get to trust that Matt's coming at this, trying to get it right. Johnny's coming at this, trying to get it right. And we can wrestle with the problem. It's me and you side by side against the problem, not me versus you. And dude, just getting to clear that, even from being a, a possibility allows us to do some really exceptional work. And yeah. man, building a SaaS company is not easy. There are lots of challenges every day you wake up and there are new challenges. They come up. And so to build a, a culture and a team that's got high trust, that's focused on getting it right versus being right. It will be a wind at your back versus, you know, just a strong headwind of not being able to, you become best a genius with a thousand hands if you are a founder that doesn't foster a culture of trust. So I think in this time of year, people are naturally a little more cheery and, and warm, you know, use it to your advantage. And (laughs) sometimes, yeah, use it to your advantage, you know, special schedule a Friday afternoon that maybe do a strengths and weaknesses exercise. Maybe when you're in your quarterly or annual planning, think of who's going to be the white hat and who's the black hat. Let's practice, you know, some healthy conflict. But yeah, man, I think these are some helpful tools. Matt, anything else to add? Yeah. Just one. If you're a founder or a CEO, and you're
1: not sure where you stand on this, the way that I would encourage you to think about it is like literally sit down and just get 15 minutes clear, take out a piece of paper and a pen, and just over the past, call it three months, make a quick list of all of the times that you've had an idea that someone on your team challenged in public, like in a meeting, not necessarily one-on-one. And I think that if you don't have a list at all, if you can't think of a single time that's worth double clicking on, right? Or are, you, are we building a culture where the team doesn't feel empowered to speak up or they're too nervous to speak up to you? And then if you do have things on your list, give us some honest thought to how you showed up to that situation, both externally to the team and also how did you treat yourself during that engagement like how did you feel did you feel personally attacked or did you feel like oh i'm so grateful that my team gives a shit my team is engaged that they're they're willing to take the risks to challenge the ceo of the company or push on me to make a better decision that kind of thing right so so if you're in a leadership position make the list when have you gotten challenged by people on your team and then how did you show up to it both internally and externally and i think that like if nothing else, that will orient you to maybe the opportunity that you have inside your company, inside your culture, inside yourself to tune up how you show up to these scenarios. Because I can tell you that if you have a solid team, every idea will be better when it gets through them versus if they sidestep it because they don't feel comfortable to challenge you. So just think a little, little introspection on that topic can go a long way if you're not really sure where you stand. I love it, man.
0: Good conversation. Yeah, brother.